Hey everybody, our board slash OITE podcast companion book is now available for you to follow along and take notes with our podcast review. Just click the link in the description. This episode is sponsored by the American Academy of Orthopedic Surgeons. Regardless of your residency program year, the Resident Orthopedic Core Knowledge Platform developed by the American Academy of Orthopedic Surgeons is right for you. Free to residents, ROC is an online learning program that covers 11 subspecialty areas with content that's been authored and curated by some of the leading names in orthopedics. And residents can access content for free at rock.aos.org. Get started today. Hello all, welcome back to yet another episode of the Nails It Ortho podcast. My name is Dr. Cole, myself and Dr. Spencer Woolwine are doing this OITE slash our board review series. We have talked about trauma, spine, basic science, foot and ankle. I'm sure we talked about something else that I just can't think of right now as well. And now we're talking about adult reconstruction, a little bit of joints. And so we hope you all have been listening. We hope you all have taken five seconds of your day to leave us a review. If you haven't, please take the next five seconds to do so. It would help out a bunch. And let's go ahead and hop into today's episode. You are now listening to Nailed It, the orthopedic surgery podcast featuring doctors Jay Fitz and Wendell Cole. Dr. Woolwine, we are back yet again with some more board slash OIT prep, and uh, we're continuing on with some joints and some total knee stuff. We are. Um, hopefully, all of those that just recently took ABOS have uh, done well. And um, good news is that a lot of this isn't really changing at a rapid pace. So for those gearing up for this year's OITE or next year's ABOS, I think we'll find a lot of value in all this stuff. So I'm ready to get going. Yeah, I am. I'm so hoping that this helps and that this, uh, that the test stays the same because <laughs> I'll be taking it next year. So I'm, I'm hoping that all this content uh, is, 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 you know, useful and stays the same, which I'm pretty sure it will be. Yeah. This year supposedly had a lot of spine on it. That's what I heard oh, through the oh grapevine, man. but it, it changes year to year. So oh, we'll see. Quite rough. Well, um, well, let's go ahead and hop into it. I think uh, we're continuing on with some kind of releases. Uh, around total knee arthroplasty. So uh, what are some releases that can be performed in patients with a flexion contracture, pretty much are unable to fully extend their knee for those that don't exactly know what a flexion contracture is? Yeah, and so this is, uh, you, you'll see this uh, commonly with your total knee uh, patients in the office, and it really takes a good eye to detect a flexion contracture because oftentimes, they are fairly subtle at about five to 10 degrees where if you're kind of looking at the patient head on and you ask them to just fully straighten out their leg, it may look like they are, they're able to get fully straight, but then you get them into the OR and um, you realize that your standard cuts or releases are uh, resulting in a leg that has a slight flexion contracture as well. And so doing a really good pre-op evaluation of them will help intraoperatively deal with a flexion contracture. So let's say you, you do uh, your, your cuts for a total knee. And uh, after that posterior condyle cut, um, you, you can take off some of the posterior osteophytes that are going to be superior to the uh, posterior femoral condyle. And what that does is it 
uh, helps the posterior synovium lie more flat on the backside of the femur and the tibia. And then also you can do posterior osteophyte removal of the proximal tibia. You can uh, resect or strip the capsule off of the posterior femur. This is commonly done with a Cobb elevator. And then uh, if none of that works, then you want to go and uh, resect or take off some of the gastrocnemius uh, uh, tendon insertion off the distal femur. And uh, it, all of those soft tissue releases should help you get to a completely fully extended knee. If they don't, then you're looking at a bony problem rather than, rather than a soft tissue problem. And so if you know going into it that you're already going to have to do some soft tissue releases, it may not be a terrible thing to just go ahead and make a two millimeter more distal femur cut uh, so that you're not having to strip a lot of the soft tissues around the knee because anytime you strip soft tissues around a knee or aggravate them it can lead to arthrofibrosis rather than doing a simple two millimeter distal femoral condyle resection uh, that that won't result in as much arthrofibrosis so um, when you are balancing the flexion and extension gaps, what are, what's the kind of the general rule of thumb you should have going into it? Yeah. And, and just really quickly on what you were talking about or for some of the soft tissue releases, at least I don't think I've seen it needed to be all the way to the point where you're doing a gastrocnemius release, at least in my very short experience. Um, have you had to, have you had to do that yet for, you know, for any of these patients with these flexion contractions? Have you ever had to do that? I. Uh, Yes, but it was not a standard total knee. Um, obviously, with me being in the oncology realm, we had a patient with a B-cell lymphoma of the proximal tibia, and he just refused to walk on the leg for a number of months before seeing us. And so he held it um, in flexion with his crutches or with one of those knee scooters. And yeah. so pre-op, he had a, I mean, this guy had a flexion contracture of, uh, I think it was like 60 degrees or something oh, like that. Man. And so it was, it was big and his knee was in an incredible amount of, uh, he collapsed the medial proximal tibia. So he had a lot of varus and a flexion contracture. So we took off the standard distal femur cut is around nine millimeters. And so I think we took off uh, something like 14 millimeters off the distal femur and uh, like 14 to 18 millimeters off the proximal tibia. That got him to a 20 degree flexion contracture. That was with the smallest poly. So we didn't want to resect any more of the of either bone. For the tibia, we didn't want to resect more because of the tibial tubercle. And for the femur, um, it would have just turned into a true distal femur resection rather than working with more standard total knee components. So uh, we had to do a posterior capsule release and a bi or bilateral, not bilateral, but a medial and lateral uh, gastroc release as well. And right. he still had about a five degree uh flexion contracture but um then we were worried about his uh common pronial nerve and 
uh, tibial nerve and developing nerve palsy. So we just, we stop there. And if he needs more work done in the future, then I guess we'll get to it. But to improve a 60 degree to five degree flexion contracture, I think he'll do okay. Yeah. Does y'all go to a hinge or do a constraint prosthesis in that guy? Uh, we did a, uh, a hinge for him. A hinge. Yeah. 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 Just, just so we can be as aggressive as possible with his post-op range of motion. Yeah. We had a, we had a very similar patient, I think maybe last month or so. And, uh, one other thing that we had was a Doppler in the, in the room, because, you know, there's always a thought of like these patients that are contracted and their vessels are contracted for so long that you extend them that you may have some type of a vascular injury. So, yeah. you know, you get Dopplers before and after, make sure there's, you know, the pulses are still good. Um, yeah. But I know but that's, we- <laughs> that's not what we're talking about. We're talking about routine total yeah. needs in, in this doc here. <laughs> yeah. And uh, to answer your question, what the general rule of thumb is when balancing flexion and extension gaps is one is find out where you're loose or where you're tight. So if are you, you know, are you tight in extension and loose in flexion or vice versa, or are you loosen both? So once you have basis of that, then you need to figure out whether the problem is a symmetric problem or an asymmetric problem. So if you're just, you know, tight medially versus tight, both medially and laterally or in the same thing versus extension. And then we'll go in to some examples here in a few of what to do with, with each, but you know, you just need to find out where you loose or where you tight. And then is this an asymmetric problem or a symmetric problem? And so what are, what are bone cuts that you can make that will affect both the flexion and the extension gaps? Let's say you're tight in flexion and you're tight in extension. What's something that you can cut that'll, um, that'll, I guess, increase both of these gaps. Yeah, this one is going to be the proximal tibia, and this is how they will test you on the OITE, is they'll say, um, you've completed your primary cuts, and you have found that the knee is tight in both flexion and extension. What is your best next step or something? And then they'll have something like MCL release, uh, posterior capsule release, uh, resect more distal femur, uh, resect more proximal tibia, and you want to choose resect more proximal tibia because that is going to give you a uh, more room in both flexion and extension. This episode is sponsored by the American Academy of Orthopedic Surgeons. Are you an orthopedic resident? Then you need to know about Rock. It's a new resident orthopedic core knowledge program developed by the American Academy of Orthopedic Surgeons. Created for U.S. residency programs and free to residents, Rock covers 11 subspecialties and is filled with in-depth, comprehensive content and quizzes that have been authored and vetted by some of the leading experts in orthopedics. This all-in-one curriculum will give you the foundation and knowledge you need to become a successful board-certified orthopedic surgeon. And remember, access to Rock content is free to residents. Get started at rock.aaos.org. And so um, kind of on the flip side to that, if you are both loose in extension and flexion, what's something that you can do? Yeah, just like you're saying. So before you could cut the tibia, this you're doing something that kind of adds something to the tibia. So you're if you're loose in both, you can either increase the polyethylene insert thickness of it. So, you know, you may switch from an eight millimeter poly to a 10 millimeter poly or a 12 millimeter poly, depending on what 
you know, what implant system, they have different sizes of the polyethylene insert, or you can also add metallic augments, but you're doing something to the tibia because this is going to affect both your uh, flexion and your extension gaps. Now, on the other side of things, what are some things you can do if you are only loose in flexion? If you are only loose in flexion. So if you're, if you're trialing and the femur goes out to full extension and it looks good, but how you uh, determine if you're loose or tight in flexion is you're bringing obviously the knee into flexion. And if you see the polyethylene lift off your trial, uh, then, or the trial poly lift off the trial tibia, then you can say you're tight in flexion. If you are able to uh, see a gap between the polyethylene and the posterior femoral component, or you're able to do a lot of varus and valgus stress, you'll see that they're loose. And so if, if you are loose only in flexion, what you want to do is first uh, think about increasing your femoral component size and how femoral components are sized, it's in an A to P direction. So if you increase the femoral component size, but keep your cuts the same, then you're basically just adding more space on the posterior femoral condyle, which will make you more tight in flexion and hopefully get you to where you are symmetric in both flexion and extension. What you can do is you can translate the entire femoral component posterior. The only way you would be able to do that is if you are not going to notch the femur by translating the entire femoral component more posterior. If you're already flush with the femoral uh, anterior femoral cortex, then this is not an option because if you translate everything posterior, then you're going to notch and we'll get into the complex, the theorized complications with notching in here in a bit. And when you increase the femoral component size, you've basically, you've already cut that bone. So what you're going to have to do is add like a three or five millimeter augment to the posterior femur so that the actual um, component can fit with that increased space in the back. And then uh, the last thing you can do, uh, I know that you said that if you are loose in both flexion and extension, you can add uh, stuff to the tibia. Uh, then you can think about still adding a polyethylene to the tibia, like another couple of millimeters. And if you're still able to get to full extension and you're stable and now you're stable in flexion, well, then maybe you weren't as stable in extension as you once thought you were. And then the last thing you can do, which is difficult if you've already made your cuts, which you most likely already have, is you can add less slope to the tibia. And by adding less slope, you're creating a tighter flexion gap. Um, but it, it, that's, that's kind of a tough thing to do if you've already made your tibial cut. So, um, now, on the flip side of that, what are some things you can do if you're loose only in extension? Yeah, and I think you explained that very well. And so if you're loose in extension, it, it makes sense to me, like, if you think of, like, the distal femur after you've made your cuts, so you have your distal femur cuts and your chamfer cuts and your posterior cut. And so if you're looking at it like that, if you're loose in extension, you could just add more to the distal femur. Um, so you can add uh, to the distal femur, which you may have to 
to um, augment, um, you know, so you may have to put an augment, uh, you know, when you do that, or you can distalize the femoral component, and, but again, you also have to, um, to augment to that as well. Um, or kind of what you're, some of the things we were saying before, because we know when we add to the tibia that it's going to affect both our extension and our flexion gaps. So, uh, and just to kind of give the scenario like you did before, if you're loose only in, in extension is, you know, when you have the, uh, the leg fully extended and you test it to, you know, your various valgus, you may internally or externally rotate and you're loose there. But when you flex the knee up to 90 degrees, it's rock solid. You know, you have equal play uh, to varus and valgus and, you know, everything's stable with, uh, with rotation. So when you bring it back into extension, it's loose. One thing you could do is you could add to the tibia. So you can increase your polyethylene uh, insert thickness or do a metal augment, which we know from before is going to affect both of our flexion and extension gap. So if we were loose in extension before and we were okay in flexion, and we add to the tibia, it's going to make us, you know, ideally stable in extension, but then we'll be too tight in flexion. So then what we'd have to do is we'd have to readdress the tight flex, re readdress the tight flexion gap. So, you know, that's kind of the last thing to do. But, you know, first thing is if you're loose only in extension, you could add more distal femur, distalize the femoral component and put an augment. Um, so what are some things that you can do to increase your extension gap only and leave the flexion gap alone? So now we're just tight in extension only. We're trying to get it all the way, you know, extended, can't really do it. So what do we do then? Yeah, out of all the tight and loose flexion and extension questions, it seems that this is the one that the OITE tends to like because it's pretty routinely tested and it maybe because it's the most straightforward of the bunch. But if you are, uh, if you want to increase your extension gap only and leave the flexion gap alone, meaning you are only tight in extension, you bring the femur and the tibia uh, or the knee into, you have your trial components in, you bring them out into extension and they have a five degree uh, flexion contracture still, or 10 degree flexion contracture, what you're going to do is remove more distal femur. So you're going to um, put your distal femur cutting jig back on and uh, basically you're going to move it down about two millimeters at a time because two millimeters of bone resection from the distal femur tends to correlate to approximately 10 degrees of correction. And um, if you feel like uh, removing more distal femur is a little aggressive, um, then you can work on releasing the posterior capsule and doing some of the soft tissue releases. But the OITE loves resect more distal femur for a yeah. tight extension gap and a normal flexion gap. So uh, let's say you have a normal extension gap and now you have a tight flexion gap. What are some things you can do there? Yeah. And one of the things that you mentioned a little bit earlier was tinkering with the slope of the tibia. So if you just want to increase your flexion gap only, you can increase the posterior slope of the tibia. So, you know, you, you're getting your saw and you're making, you're giving some more, uh, you're adding some slope to the tibia. Um, you could remove a little bit more posterior femur that we spoke about a little bit earlier. Um, you could also partially release your 
PCL off of the intercondylar notch. So this is if you're doing a PCL retaining total knee arthroplasty. You can partially release this. And my attending always tells me that this actually affects both the flexion and extension gap, but it affects the flexion gap more than the extension gap. I think in a ratio of two to one or so. I had to, I probably should have just uh, read up and double checked that a little bit more, but that's what he says that the, uh, that when you release the PCL, it releases the flexion gap more than the extension gap. And I think the ratio is two to one or so. Um, and then you can also downsize the femoral component. Like you mentioned a little bit earlier, these components are sized from their A to P dimensions. So you can, um, if you have room, uh, you can downsize the femoral component and that would affect your flexion gap, but will not affect your extension gap. Um, so now when cementing components, what are some, you know, kind of this technical aspects that are important? Like, you know, things that you wouldn't think about, like if you're a junior resident in the case that's just going on, but these are actually, you know, the, every, every part of the case is very critical. And one of the critical parts is cementing technique as well. So what techniques uh, of cementing components are important? Yeah, this is why, uh, um, like for total knees, they like, or at most of the attendings I've ever worked with use, uh, that pulse lavage, uh, yep. device. And basically what that's doing is it is, um, sending a high energy pulse of saline into the cancellous bone of your distal femur and proximal tibia to clear out your bone marrow in that area and make room for the cement to penetrate. And it's one of those things where we always talk about how osteoporosis leads to a bunch of bad things, but when you are cementing, osteoporosis is technically advantageous because it allows for deeper penetration of the cement into the bone and a more stable uh, construct. And so what you wanna do is you wanna clear out the bone marrow uh, soft tissue, blood, whatever that's within these uh, kind of trabeculae of bone uh, on the proximal tibia and distal femur. Um, there's a newer device out there that has technically on studies been shown to be superior than the standard pulse lavage in cleaning out the bone to a deeper degree, but they're not really? going to test you on that. Yeah, what are some, those? It looks like a it, it looks like a pistol, like even more oh. than the, than the lavage kind of guns look. This one is for whatever reason, it's, it's shown to be superior, but they're, they're not going to test on that. And what you want is you want to cement penetration of approximately three millimeters or more uh, for a stable implant cement bone interface. And I recently read, and I, I can't remember the study, I'll try and look it up while you're answering kind of the next topic coming up here, but yeah. um, there's no superiority in uh, how you cement. You just have to put enough cement on there for there to be three millimeters of penetration. And what I mean by this is I worked with some attendings that only put cement on the implants and then impacted them into the bone. Currently, I work with attendings who only put cement on the bone first and leave the implants free uh, of cement and impact them that way. And there's no way that's superior uh, in creating the cement penetration that you want for a stable interface. 
we hope you all enjoyed that episode we hope you all click the subscribe button and stay in tune with everything that we're doing and uh, we will see you all next episode